It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Missouri is, uh, you know, Brian, I, I go back to the, uh, the, I think it was Bull Durham line, but it might have been Major League. Now I'm confused, but, you know, hey, you've won two in a row. If you win another one, that's three. It's a winning streak, and believe it or not, it has happened around here before. Yeah, it seems like it's been a long, long time. But yeah. uh, first for Barry Odom, first for Drew Locke as a starter. Um, it's three. So three in a row, The theoretically. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. The opponent, the Florida Gators. We're going to bring in Andrew Olson from InsideTheGators.com. Uh, covers Florida for the Rivals Network. Andrew, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, big news down here today with the uh, Interim coach Randy Shannon naming Malik Zaire Florida's starting quarterback. So yeah, been a little bit of a busy day here. Um, I, I was going to say, like, have you guys had anything to do this week? Are you keeping busy? <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, it just kind of uh, it, it has been uh, been going nonstop. Since, yeah. So uh, Saturday morning, you know, before kickoff against Georgia, there were you know reports about this will be you know McElwain's last game either way. So it is just. <laughs> Been going nonstop. Yeah, it just but give us the Cliff Notes version. I mean, like I understand Florida is not happy with three and four, but if Jim McElwain was just three and four and none of this other stuff was going on, like he doesn't get fired, right? This isn't just about being three and four. Right, right. Um, Yeah, McElwain could have survived a bad year from wins and losses strictly. You know after going to the SEC championship game the past two years, I think he had the clout to to get a fourth year at least. You know, if there were there's nine players suspended because of credit card fraud, there's a bunch of injuries. Uh, he could have said, you know, look, this was this was a rebuilding year, some things happened. But there was obviously there was tension with the athletic department, you know, specifically the athletic director, Scott Strickland. There was, a, they didn't like the way he tried to use the media to kind of bully you know, the athletic department into committing, you know, more to football in terms of like facility upgrades and things like that. And I'm sure the, the credit card fraud scandal, you know, was another strike against him. And then finally the death threats, you know, you combine that with a, losing season on the field and you know you've got enough you know enough to start the process to buy out the contract with randy shannon coming in i know he like you said he's named malik zaire as the as the starter are there any other differences you're expecting with him and in the middle of the season not a lot can be done but what's kind of the feel around the program with randy shannon taking over um, you know, he, he's, he's trying to make a lot of changes, you know, you know, if they're just small changes, you know, he's shaken up kind of the practice routine. They practice in the stadium on Monday for the first time all season. When the media got to go to practice Tuesday, he was playing, he was playing music. He was playing a uh, Tom Petty and Michael Jackson songs and players were kind of dancing during warmups. He's trying to project this image, you know, of, having fun, having a good time. I think he's trying to do anything to get the players' minds off of the fact that they're playing 
for a new head coach. In the case of the seniors, if you count the interims, this is the fourth head coach they've had in their time here. So um, one big, one interesting thing to watch as far as on the field is um, Shannon's no longer defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He's promoted. He's promoted Chris Rump to defensive coordinator. Uh, Rump has been at Florida since 2015. Um, prior to that, he was he was at Clemson a few years ago. With uh, when Kevin Steele was their defensive coordinator, he was at Alabama for a couple of years. When Kirby Smart was obviously defensive coordinator. And he worked with uh, Vance Bedford at Texas for a season. So Rob kind of has, you know, an interesting background. And I asked Randy Shannon when he met with the media on Tuesday, I said, you know, is, is, are you expecting him to call a game like you? Or does he kind of have freedom to do whatever? And Randy said that, you know, Chris Rump can call, you know, whatever kind of game he wants. So Florida may mix it up a little bit on defense with a new defensive coordinator. Missouri went through this last year. Les Miles was let go the week before LSU played Missouri, and LSU came out with its hair on fire and and really put together a a great game, which helped Ed Orgeron end up getting the full-time job. I mean, I've said I I think the difference here is I don't get the feeling that Randy Shannon is really a candidate to be the full-time head coach at Florida. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, but do you think yeah, do you think uh, you see some sort of inspired effort from Florida based on the changes or yeah I, I you do you know just in sports whether it's college football or you know baseball and you know when they change the manager it seems like a team plays a little better when there's a change at the top I I think Florida I mean let's be honest there's nowhere to go but up after <laughs> last week against against Georgia so that's a low bar to clear for them to play better, but I, I am expecting a, a better performance, especially on, on offense with the quarterback change. I think I think you'll see them play a little looser. You know, um, as Shannon mentioned, football is kind of these guys escape. So even though the coach has changed, I think they'll really just be happy to be back out on the field Saturday. And he's, he is really driving this point home about having fun. So, I expect to see a little bit more energy, well, you know, just a better effort overall. What, what kind of you mentioned the change of quarterback Malik Zier? What what is he going to bring that maybe the other quarterbacks that have played this year haven't? And and why why hasn't he played uh, earlier if if he's kind of looked at as a guy that can spark that offense? Um, you know, it's a, we've we've been asking I think every week for about the past month. You know, are we going to see more of like Zaire, you know, well, um, some of us in the media thought, you know, Frank's just, this isn't happening. You know, Frank's lacked, lacked pocket presence. He really had trouble reading defenses and making reads. I don't expect Zaire to, you know, be a fixer or a miracle worker, but he did, he showed just a little bit better competency, you know, handling the offense. Uh, you know, he can scramble. That's the big thing. You know, he was a dual threat quarterback in the 2013 class. We haven't seen Florida do many design quarterback runs outside of the Wildcat, um, which Florida used. wasn't even using Zaire. They were using Darius Tony, a kind of athlete wide receiver type. 
But, yeah, we'll see if maybe there's going to be some more quarterback runs. That's certainly part of Zaire's skill set. You know, he he ran the ball quite a few times at at Notre Dame. Uh, I think there's hope that just his mobility and that, you know, he can probably – he's more mature. He he may be a little more advanced in reading the defense and and finding the right receiver – He's he's not the most consistent passer in in practice. You see him kind of sail some high, and then and then there'll be one at the receiver's feet. But he's got a pretty low bar to clear. Frank <laughs> struggled, you know, mightily, mightily the last three games. You know, he was like seven and nineteen against Georgia for thirty yards. So wow. there's really nowhere to go but up as far <laughs> as the offense and the passing game. One, one more on offense, then we'll kind of flip over to the other side of the ball. But Malik Davis, Florida's leading rusher, out for the year. How big a blow is that to this offense? Oh, it's it's a huge blow. You know, he was he was the leading rusher by far. He really established himself as the main back with um, well, Michael Pirine being kind of the complimentary mm-hmm. big back. Uh, Shannon, you know, didn't hold back. He he said, you know, this is a chance for Mark Thompson to step up, a junior college transfer, a, a much, a very different back from Davis, a big guy, uh, like 6'2", 240. Uh, way back when he first arrived, teammates compared him to Derrick Henry, but he's only, he's in his career at Florida, he's only about like right under 100 carries for a little over 400 yards, so... Thompson really hasn't done much, but there, Florida is certainly hoping that P. Ryan can go from being the complimentary back to the main back. And he actually he had a good performance against Georgia. He rushed for ninety something yards, I and mean, it was just it was a little bit under a hundred. And they hope Thompson can kind of finally show what he's capable of. Shannon really, you know, challenged him. You know, said these are you know the expectations. He, you need to show why Florida recruited you. On the on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Drew Locke struggled against Florida, to put it mildly, the last two seasons. Um, <laughs> what I know it's a different defense now. They're a little bit younger. Um, secondary maybe yeah. not quite as good as it's been in recent years, but uh, d- right. I'm sure there's still some confidence there with those guys going up against Drew Locke in this offense. I, I think so. Um, there have been issues in the secondary. It's really with with communication. You know, you sometimes see some guys just left wide open. You know, obviously coverage, you know, blown coverages, coverage breakdowns. What if they can do, you know, if they can stick to the right wide out, guys like uh, senior cornerback Duke Dawson, a preseason All-SEC guy, and freshman uh, Marco Wilson, are good in one-on-one coverage. It's it's about it's about actually covering the guy. They've had <laughs> they've had issues, you know, with safeties, you know, biting on um, play action and stuff, and leaving guys, you know, 40, 40 yards down the field wide open. There's also a lot of confidence in the in the defensive line. Um, uh, defensive tackle Taven Bryan been really bringing a lot of pressure from the inside and a lot of people are talking about he may be the first uh, Gator player drafted. Uh, CC Jefferson is 
really stepped up as an edge rusher. And uh, Jabari Zuniga, last year's sack leader, you know, bring, brings the pressure from the opposite side. So Florida's pretty strong on the d- defensive line. Their secondary can cover, though there's they are young. They're playing uh, two freshmen and a couple sophomores. So there's really it's Duke Dawson is the senior, and then there's a bunch of underclassmen that he's playing with. But yeah, Florida pretty confident in in pass coverage and pass rush. Couple more minutes here with uh, with Andrew Olson from Inside the Gators, and uh, Andrew, you you tell me if I'm wrong in this assessment. Like Missouri's been in the SEC for five years now, and I haven't really seen a Florida offense that I would classify as good. So I think this All offense right. <laughs> is is kind of what it's been. Is the difference that they've gone from an elite defense to uh, I don't know a, a good defense? Um, yeah. The, the defense definitely carried carried the team for arguably much of much of the post Urban Meyer Tim right. Tebow era. You know, it's ever since you know 2011 forward, it's this team's really been carried by defense, regardless of the head coach. And you know, obviously, a lot of the defensive players that shined the last two seasons were recruited by Will Muschamp, and now most of most of the most champ players are in the NFL. You know, it's a young defense, and yeah, statistically, it's nowhere near the last two seasons. So the offensive struggles stand out even more. And in year three, McElwain was really expected to have developed a strong offense, and especially a competent quarterback. That didn't that didn't show up. You know, Florida got to three and four this year so far by mainly running the ball. And like you said, Malik Davis was really the offensive strength of the team. Just what's, what do you think is going to happen this game? How do you see this game playing out? Are you, I, I don't know if you've posted picks on your side or anything like that. Uh, just kind of what, what are you expecting this week out of Missouri and in, in Florida? Yeah, um, I'm expecting Florida's offense just to – just to uh, kind of put it together under the Zaire kind of rally, you know, maybe we see some more running plays, some big pass plays. I just kind of guessing, you know, looking at the points scored and all those kind of stats. I I picked twenty seven twenty four Florida. Just kind of a kind of a gut feeling that they rally for for Shannon and and Zaire based on the change, but. Obviously, nobody's going to be surprised if uh, Missouri puts up a ton of points. But I think this Florida defense will kind of, I think they'll get maybe a couple turnovers to kind of slow down Locke and company. I'll correct you there. Missouri fans are going to be surprised if Missouri puts up a whole lot of points, but (laughs) nobody from Florida maybe. We'll uh, we'll finish with you on this and uh, the the names that that kind of seem to be jumping out at least in the early going are Dan Mullen and, and maybe Scott Frost? Are those guys kind of among your guys' leading candidates down there to eventually be the full-time replacement, or, or is there somebody else? Right. Yeah, fans, uh, fans, I think, overwhelmingly want Frost. I think a lot of people see similarities between his rise and Urban Meyer's rise, you know, a few years ago, turning around a, a smaller school and 
you know, somebody young and energetic. And he, Frost would be the sexy hire. And Mullen is obviously connected to Florida based on his past here as an offensive coordinator, you know, coach of Tebow and all that. And he has a past connection with the current athletic director, Scott Strickland. So I think those are the, those are definitely the two most common names you hear linked with this job. But, you know, you also hear Willie Taggart at Oregon, um, Mike Norvell, Justin Fuente. You hear a lot, a lot of names thrown around. And Strickland, you know, said he's going to try to keep all the information as close to the vest as possible, but it's silly season. There's going to be a lot of rumors. Just just uh, finish with this, your thoughts on what I said when Florida had an opening. Like, given the fact that he was an assistant there, don't you have to call and make sure Bob Stoops doesn't want to coach again? Oh, yeah. I, I think you have to because he's, he's probably the most – proven coach that's currently not employed so yeah i and and it helps that um steve sprayer is currently you know working as an ambassador and consultant in the athletic department so i think i think spurrier will reach out to stoops if he hasn't already but i you know i i think stoops is retired for real but we'll see yeah, yeah. all right well andrew i appreciate it man and uh are you making the trip to columbia no, I won't be. All right. Unfortunately, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be covering for my couch. <laughs> uh, hey, nothing wrong with that, man. Uh, appreciate it. Have a good weekend. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you down the road when the rumors start flying. All right. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, okay. Andrew. Olson thanks, Andrew. From InsideTheGators.com, and uh, hey, we'll we'll kind of break this one down in a few minutes, uh, a little bit after after we touch on some basketball, but. Uh, I don't know. He kind of sees the same things I do. I think Florida's going to play better. I think it's going to be a close game, and we'll see what happens in the fourth quarter. Right, yeah. I, nothing would surprise me with either one of these teams. So it, I mean, there's going to be a little bit of bump from the new coach, the new quarterback, without a doubt. Will it Will it be something that just happens early, and then, all right, they regress back to the what they've been, or is it something that they can carry the whole game? I don't know. I, I I'd be surprised the way the, the Missouri offense is playing right now. I think they'll be able to put up some points on Florida. Um, can they stop? A, can the Missouri defense stop an SEC offense, even if it's one as poor as uh, Florida? I don't. I don't know. We'll see. If they can't, November's going to be long, man. Yeah, it won't be a November to remember. Now we turn our attention to Missouri basketball and college basketball, where frankly most Missouri fans' attention has been for the better part of the last seven months. We are going to bring in Brian Hamilton. He is a college basketball writer for the Fieldhouse, which is the college basketball arm of the athletic. Brian, how you doing today? Doing great. How are you guys? Not too bad. And and I want to get this one out of the way first. Just It's, it's a new venture. I, I subscribe. Right. I'm very familiar with it. But for maybe our listeners who aren't, I, I'm going to give you just kind of the uh, – what, what's the pitch? What are you guys doing over at the Fieldhouse and the Athletic? Well, I don't know how old a lot of your listeners are or what the demographics are, but I look at it, what we're doing at the Athletic and specifically at the Fieldhouse and the All-American kind of like that old Sunday newspaper used to mm-hmm. pick up. It was about like 54 pounds back in the day <laughs> when newspapers were viable, and the sports section was just pages and pages of stuff that you got not only on your local teams, but you got a thorough national perspective from most newspapers sending people out everywhere. 
the way I look at what we're doing at the athletic is we're giving you the Sunday sports section every day. We're giving you for like three, four bucks a month. You get all the stuff about all the teams that you want to read about. Plus Seth Davis's field house with a national perspective on college basketball, Stu Mandel's all American national perspective on college football, Ken Rosenthal on baseball. Um, I think it's a great deal because you get a super clean experience with no ads, no pop-ups, no videos, no autoplays, just words and pictures and real quality coverage. And we're investing in quality, you know, not quantity, not clicks, not clickbait, not target practice on guys. So if you basically want to, you know, set aside one Starbucks a month and get the Sunday newspaper every day, the way it used to be, with a depth of coverage and the you know the the uh, investment in quality coverage, that's what we're giving you at, at the athletic. Yeah, and I mean Brian just listed off the list of writers. It's like an all-star team over there. And so if you are one of the people who can still read more than 140 characters at a time, <laughs> right. I, I I know that number is dwindling. But if you're one of them, I I I, uh, I encourage you to subscribe, especially during a basketball season that now I think Missouri fans are going to have a reason to pay attention to, which they haven't had in a few years. And Brian, you were in Columbia not long ago, and and if I'm not wrong, that story has not uh, has not yet dropped, but just kind of. Uh, uh, you know, let people know what you were in town doing and, and kind of what you found out about Missouri. Well, I was checking out the, uh, the softball program. Okay. No, okay. Um, yeah. No, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I was in town to do a story on uh, Michael Porter and Conzo and kind of the program hit and restart going into this season. And, and obviously a pretty significant big way the story will be out for the opener against Iowa state. Um, just wanted to kind of, te- te- you know, take the temperature of the dynamic with Michael Porter coming in and, you know, how does that change how Missouri plays? How does that change how Conzo approaches this team? How do you build a program for the long term when you also have to consider that you've got a transformative freshman for what is very likely a very short term um, it's an interesting balance to me. Um, it's an interesting balance with Michael Porter having all of his family around how that changes the, the dynamic of the one and done scenario, just in terms of whether he could be a guy that could actually enjoy a college experience because he's a very family oriented guy. As we all know, he's got all of his family there at this point. So I thought it was a real interesting dynamic to explore. We'll get that out there before the opener against Iowa state. Just, from what you were able to see, what talking with him, I mean, I know there's a there's a portion of Missouri fans that are holding out hope that he actually does two years. I think most people realize that's not likely. What what was your read from talking to him? I would not bet literally a penny on him staying two years in college basketball. <laughs> yeah. I was I was going to say life savings, but I'm not sure I'd even give up a nickel on that <laughs> bet um, at this point. But look. He's in a situation, and people have written about it already, and I'll probably get into a little bit of the story. You know, we all know the dynamic here. He wanted to play for his dad, a guy he's trusted, a guy has coached him for a very long time. Well, now he's back home, essentially, in the same area where he grew up. He's got two sisters at school with him. He's got a younger brother at school with him. And, again, he's being coached by his dad. Uh, He goes home a lot. You know, it's a 10-minute drive from right. campus to, to, to home. You know, I mean, it's not like he's stuck in a dorm room 600 miles from where he, from where mom and dad are if he wants a nice home-cooked meal. Um, the, 
I don't think he's going to stay for two years, but if he does, if that somehow remotely happens, it's because of the experience he has being around his family and the comfort he has with that. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to be a driving factor. It's going to be, honestly, you're going to be the number one, number two, number three overall draft pick. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you turn that down. Yeah. Um, I think but, a driving factor is you have like a $50 million shoe contract and yeah. nobody in your family yep. ever has to work again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Except it, it, you. It's, it's silly. You know, we went through this discussion with Miles Bridges last year. And I remember talking to a couple of national writers about Miles maybe coming back for his sophomore year. And I said, I don't know. I think he really likes Tom. I think he really likes Tum Tum Nairn. They had built a really good relationship, kind of likes being at college. And everyone kind of scoffed and said, no way, gone, lottery pick. Well, Miles Bridges is back at Michigan State for all those reasons, because he loves Tom Izzo, because he likes being in college and just wanted to put off being a professional, having it be sort of a do-or-die situation every day um, at the professional level. I don't know that the same dynamic will play out with Michael Porter just because of, frankly, how high he's going to go in the draft and and the upside there. Um, But something like that, if that scenario played out, that would be why. Because he's comfortable being around family and enjoys college because of that. Last one on, on Porter, and then I promise we'll move on to other stuff. But, hey, welcome to our lives the last seven months. It's been Michael Porter <laughs> hey, and then man, everything else. Wants. You got you to give the people what they want. It, I think yeah, so I, it, the easy comparison, and I've read it all over the place, is, hey, this team's been terrible. Michael uh, – Markel Fultz wasn't any good at watch. I mean, his team wasn't any good. Ben Simmons, his team wasn't any good. So why is Michael Porter going to make a difference? You tell me if, and, and you talked a lot about the connection to home. My, my take is, and I think this means something, Missouri isn't just a place for Michael Porter to play basketball. Like, it's not a stopover on the way to the NBA. Missouri is important to Michael Porter. I think that counts for, like, Ben Simmons went to LSU because he had to go somewhere. Markel Fultz went to Washington because he had to go somewhere. And I'm not saying Michael wouldn't have gone straight to the NBA if he could, but I I think maybe this program and bringing it back is a little more important to him than it was to Simmons or Fultz how many games they won. I I asked him that exact same question because I I was very curious as to the investment he would have in Missouri versus literally any other program in the country. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah. I think I've, you know, he, he, he thinks he knows Markel Fultz a little bit. And he thinks Markel Fultz had an investment in Washington. So I don't want to, you know, knock around Markel right. Fultz, but in the, but he was very explicit. The Ben Simmons comparison, he feels Ben Simmons was there as the stopover. Didn't really matter to him how much success LSU had or didn't have. This was about, you know, why one year of residency I've got to spend before I move on. Michael Porter Jr. is saying that's not him that he wants to go to some place where he's remembered as more than just the guy who stopped through on his way to being a top five draft pick. Um, I don't know if we can believe that. I'm a pretty <laughs> cynical guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, this is a business, um, but it is home. He's got his family around. And I think whether or not he went into it thinking that way, I would bet just having family around and sort of feeling that sort of, Missouri pride bubble up just because your sisters play there, your dad coaches there. I think it's inevitable that your investment, it becomes more personal. I, I don't, I don't know how much that plays into it, but I do think it me, it will mean a little more to him to have success at Missouri than maybe those other guys you mentioned at other places. 
looking at it from a, a national perspective, where, where do you see Mizzou kind of fitting in this season? And I know the rankings are starting to come out. They were, I think, just outside the top 30, if you count right. all the votes out and stuff like that. Where do you, How much of an impact is Porter going to make on this team, and where do you see them fitting in in a national scope? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say um, because they're going to obviously play a lot through him. They're going to play a lot through Michael Porter. They're going to put the ball in his hands and let him make decisions. They're going to play fast. Conzo Martin told me that he did less defense this summer and more offense than he ever had at any of his previous stops because he felt like those teams always got off the slow starts offensively, and he really wanted to use the talent he had this year to rev things up offensively. And you saw him, they scored 87 against Kansas in the exhibition game. So they're not going to be afraid to run it and push it. They're going to play through Michael Porter. That said, you know, these the pieces around him are nice, but there's still some pieces that were on some very bad teams mm. that were not that were not real good at scoring. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see we'll see how it goes and how much of a difference one guy can make, how much of a difference you know Tillman can make down low for you. You're still working with some guys that maybe have been beat down by the experience. I think they're probably an NCAA tournament team. Are they a top 25 team, top 15 team? I don't know about that. It's really going to be how much Michael Porter kind of eases things up for everybody else and whether or not these guys have just been so beat down over the last couple of years, we haven't really been able to see what they can do. Talking with Brian Hamilton from the Fieldhouse, the Big Ten Network, and probably a number of other things. We all uh, we all are on like 27 platforms these days. But um, right. it, it, one thing that factors in here, I mean, SEC basketball has deservedly so been a punching bag for the last few years. It's been Kentucky and, well, Kentucky. Uh, right. But I, I, I look at this as a possible six or seven bid league. I mean, Alabama had a, a top 10 class. A&M got Robert Williams back. They're really good. Florida's really good. I, I think Arkansas is a potential tournament team. Uh, you know, six or seven, is that is that realistic for this league? I think so. I mean, if you're looking at Missouri as maybe like, you know, going in sixth, seventh, or eighth, eighth best team in the league, um, then yeah. I mean, a half dozen bids is, is for sure. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Florida, at least to begin with. Um, when we do our preseason predictions, I kind of view them as maybe a little overrated right now because I know when I stopped there in the summer, Mike White was kind of concerned about where his scoring was going to come from. You've got Keevon Allen. But then you've got Ibunu out till January. Kulichov, the transfer from Rice, can make shots. But you know, Florida isn't Rice. It's a different. It's a different deal. Um, but I, you know, you got to love Kentucky's talent. I really like Texas A&M. I think they have uh, Robert Williams and those guys they have down there are really good players. He could win the league. I mean, they could be better than Kentucky for sure. Interesting with Auburn. I mean, you just suspend two players today indefinitely because of potential eligibility concerns. Do you get super talented guys like that back at any point this season based on how the investigation goes? But I mean, even if you set that aside, you're still looking at a half dozen teams with very good shots to make the NCAA tournament. Looking nationally outside the SEC, just teams like North Carolina, Duke, uh, Duke number one going into the season in the AP poll. Who are the teams that you're looking at? You're thinking, these are probably the ones that are going to be making a deep run in March. Yeah, I, I would disagree with the AP voters. I had <laughs> Michigan State number one in our own little mini voting at the Fieldhouse. Um, I don't know if there's a hole 
on Michigan State's roster. I mean, they're, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. They're pretty much too deep with semi-proven or proven or really good players at every position. Nick Ward is going to be one of the most underrated post-scorers going into this season. No one really knows that Nick, how efficient Nick Ward can be down low because he got in foul trouble a lot last year. If he can avoid that this year, they're going to be they're going to have some real matchup issues with other teams trying to stop Nick Ward. Cassius Winston, I think, could be a real breakout performer at point guard. As long as he can shore up even a little bit on the defensive end, he becomes one of the more dynamic players, maybe one of the more dynamic point guards in the country. Um, so, you know, put that all together. I think Tom Izzo's got a real good shot at another Final Four, first national championship in about 17 years. Um, Duke, Duke has, in my mind, a nice mix of a lot of young guys, which doesn't always translate to NCAA tournament success as we've seen. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the veteran, the, you know, the veteran part with Grayson Allen. I mean, I think you can balance out a little bit of that youth, that newness, with a guy who's a four-year all-ACC-level performer in college basketball, and all the noise kind of quiets down around him, and he puts together a nice season. Maybe Duke has a nice balance there. You know, Arizona, I'm super high in Arizona. Again, another team that has youth and veterans like Alonzo Trier, DeAndre Ayton, you know, Alonzo Trier, the veteran star, DeAndre Ayton, five-star recruit. My only issue with them is their name. They're in the federal, you know, they've been in the federal investigation and I think that's one of the big questions hovering over college basketball this year. Yeah. Is anything else going to happen with these teams? Is nothing else going to happen with these teams? You know, how will, how will things be affected down the line? If nothing else happens, Arizona has a really good shot at the Final Four. If something else happens, all bets are off. Hey, that was what jumped to my mind when you mentioned Arizona. And uh, obviously you could do an entire podcast and people have on this topic. But, I mean, people have asked me, like, what's going to happen next in this? And I go, look, I don't have – like, people don't have sources in the FBI, <laughs> right? I, I mean, yeah. these teams don't know when something's going to happen to them. So the bottom line is we have no idea what's coming, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been asked this question a lot, obviously, and I, I have two points that I generally make on it. One, let's look at what ha- what had to happen to get these charges filed. We're talking years of cooperating witnesses, wiretaps, video surveillance, and that's just to get these four guys. Just because right. an assistant coach that's under fire now goes in and says, oh, yeah, you know, uh, this also happened. I hear, I hear this team's cheating. I hear this guy did that. That doesn't make it a prosecutable offense. If so, everyone would be on probation. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't bring charges. Feds aren't going to bring charges just because Richardson heard something happen. You know, I mean, right. it takes. It's a lot more than that. So, but on the other hand, if they have continued this investigation with other people we don't know about, if they're farther along the line with other people we don't know about, you know, the FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office is not going to be like, boy. That's a really tough schedule for Arizona this week. Maybe we'll wait. We'll wait until we knock on somebody's door at six o'clock in the morning and put them in cuffs and walk them in for an arraignment. Like it could happen at any time. I think that people are panicking, thinking it happened this once. Well, what's next? Well, it takes a while for those charges to pile up. That said, it's not like the feds are going to wait for the most convenient time for college right. basketball programs to jump in if they have charges. And they've been asked, they've been wanting to make a splash anyway already. If they have charges, they're going to drop those charges whenever they see fit. That could be on game day. It could be in a big week. Who knows? 
Yeah. Last thing, and I cannot believe we are at the point of actually previewing games, but Missouri does open next Friday. It's Iowa State, which has been a really good team in recent years, but now I'm seeing picked last in the Big 12. I mean, is this a complete rebuild at this point for Steve Prom? And and is this a game Missouri fans should be disappointed if they don't win? I would be disappointed if if you don't win it. you know, I think they have some nice pieces at Iowa State, but you know, I was looking at them when I was at Big Twelve Media Day, and you look at a guy like Solomon Young, who's going to be like essentially their starting, their starting four. He averaged four point four points per game last year. Mm-hmm. His usage percentage when he was on the floor was like twelve percent, and this is an offense. Just by one example, that plays through their four a ton. That guy has to have the ball in his hands and make decisions about what goes on in the rest of the offense. Solomon Young was saying there's like four different things you can do on certain plays based on what the foreman does in that set. And you're starting essentially from scratch the guy who just wasn't a big rotation piece. And that's kind of where they're at overall. They have some guys who've done some stuff, but tons of questions. Um, I think it's a nice opener for Missouri because you've got an Iowa State team that's sort of, if not rebuilding, certainly recalibrating, reloading a little bit, but it's still going to be a pretty high-level athlete, pretty decent level of competition. I'd be disappointed if I was Mizzou and I lost that game just because of all the transition Iowa State's going through. That said, I think it's a nice introductory level of competition. These guys shouldn't be walkovers with Iowa State. They're just going through a lot right now where Missouri might be even, strangely, Missouri might be ahead of the game identity-wise. Yeah, with like 19 new players on the roster. That's right, right. Yeah. There's plenty of transition on both ends, but I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I'll take talent and you know, and the ability to get up and down the floor and score a bit at home in that one. All right, well, Brian, really appreciate the time, man, and uh, you, Dane O'Neill, Seth Davis, everybody. It's a, it's a great product, and I think I speak for a lot of Missouri people that it's good to have a team that people like you have to kind of pay attention to again. <laughs> That's right, man. We're, <laughs> we're happy to we cover them all, right? And we want to definitely do – the big in-depth stories that everybody likes to talk about. So just go to theathletic.com backslash fieldhouse and give us a try. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. Have a good one, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right, Brian Hamilton from the Fieldhouse and the Athletic, and it, it is a great site. And, like, I, I find myself, the last three years, I've paid no attention to national college basketball. There's been no reason. Mm-hmm. But when Missouri's good, when they're in the conversation, like, it just naturally kind of kicks up your interest in in the entire sport and some of these teams. We'll we'll talk plenty of basketball and Iowa State next week. With the next podcast will be you know what thirty hours before the season opener, so we'll talk plenty about that. But we'll we'll just wrap up. Uh, you know, Mizzou, Florida. We've both said, hey, it's it's probably a pretty close game. This is. I don't know, man. This is this is kind of proving ground for Drew Locke in this offense, right? Right. If if this is a fourteen points, three turnovers game, like anything they've gained in the last four weeks is gone. All, yeah, all for nothing. They, I mean, they have to build upon. You would think, I mean, to Georgia production, what they did in that yeah. game, it needs to be something above that, which they got twenty eight. I think I know some I mean, of it. Twenty eight will win this game, right? So I, I mean. 35 points. I think that's something that this they can put up on Florida with the way they've been playing this year, but we'll, we will see. And as I've said, I think if Missouri wins this game, they're in a bowl. I'm not saying they're yeah, winning out, but I think if they win this game, they do enough in the last three weeks to get to a bowl. If they don't, mm. I think we're looking at, hey, maybe a bowl at five and seven. Right. 
and they'll go. They'd take it if right. they got it, but five and seven is that gray area for where this program's going and what is happened. Is it really an improvement? Is it? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, we'll wrap it up. Uh, pick your score, man. I'm going to go 35 to 17. Missouri? Yeah, Missouri. All right, I'm going to be the wet blanket here. <laughs> um, I'm going to be the guy that says, prove it to me. I just did my preview for Saturday morning, and I picked Florida 20 to 19. I'll be honest, after listening to Andrew Olson, I don't think I believe that anymore. <laughs> I actually think Missouri is going to win this game. But, like, I made my pick, and, right. you know. Uh, it's the show me state. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't post for like another 36 hours. I guess I could always change it, but come on. I'm an honest guy, man. I'm going 2019 Florida, but but again, I don't really believe it. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks to Andrew Olson, to Brian Hamilton, uh, kind of in that, in that sweet spot where we're hitting both major sports for the next three weeks. But uh, next week, man, college basketball season starts, and uh, it's going to be boy, exciting. Fr- Friday night at Mizzou Arena, I-, I can't wait to see what that looks like. Yeah, packed house for sure. I mean, it's going to be crazy. Iowa State fans travel well. I know they always, at the Sprint Center, whenever they're doing the Big 12 tournament, there's always a ton of them down there. So I don't know the allotments for away teams and basketball. It's not many. It's a few hundred. Right. I'm sure they'll be hitting the secondary market, trying to scour them up, and it's going to be a fun night. Yeah, all right. I'll just end it with this. Missouri fans, if it's not a sellout next Friday night, (laughs) go away and don't come back. (laughs) Come back here, though. Come back here next Thursday. We'll talk about it. Thanks for listening.